2: Welcome to the Highway Hi-Fi Podcast, where we go track by track through the underbelly of music history, using research and trivia to locate the roots of our obsession with vinyl records. I'm Joe.
3: And I'm Ryan. Congratulations. You have found the world's finest podcast for music that's played by Shitty Cornetist. Today, we're going to start off with a little bit of trivia. Alright, I'm going to start out tonight with the audio quiz, and this quiz is called It's Not That Funny. And so what I did is I spliced together 16 clips of uh, famous laughter from songs. And all you have to do is tell me who the 16 artists are who are laughing.
2: Are they all laughing at the same time or is it one after another? (laughs) No, no, that's one at a
3: time. But some clips are probably less than a second long. I think most of them are fairly recognizable. There's a couple that you probably won't get, but I'm hoping you can parse it out so to speak. Okay. Probably a few people at home can get some that you can't get. So, we'll see. I'm not expecting anybody to get all 16, but I think a lot of people can get a bunch of them. So, I'll go ahead and play it and if you're listening at home, if you want to stop and play it a few times and write down who you hear, that that would be fine. Here we go. <laughs> Joe, did you get any of those laughing people?
2: Uh I'm hoping that a lot more come to me, but I feel like I got maybe 5 or 6 of them.
3: Okay, that's not bad. That's not bad.
2: Yeah, I definitely am going to need to listen to it again at the end of the show.
3: Oh yeah, we'll play it again and then I will tell everybody the answers.
2: Okay. I have the non-audio round of trivia today and this one is called Pickle Me Elmo. <laughs> For this trivia, I'm going to take a line of lyrics from pretty well-known songs, at least to us for sure. Okay. And I'm going to replace a one or two words from the lyrics with the word pickle. And what I want you to do is put the original word back in, replace that pickle, and tell me the song and the artist.
3: Okay, so you're going to read me a song lyric. Mm-hmm except one of the words, or maybe multiple words, are replaced by the word pickle. Yes. I have to tell you what the actual song lyric is and then tell you the musician and song title. Yes. Okay, just another normal quiz from Highway Hi-Fi.
2: I will probably try to read them like a robot so that you you can't pick out the song, but if you do need additional help, I I could maybe try to sing it. All right, number one. Home was anywhere with pickle gas. Love was a pickle's hand.
3: Okay. Give me a second. All right. That's Papa Was a Rodeo by the Magnetic Fields. Let me sing it in my head here. Home was anywhere with diesel gas. Love was a trucker's
2: hand. Trucker? Trucker's hand, diesel gas, you got the whole thing. Oh, yeah. The whole kitten could pickle.
3: Got the whole deal. All
2: right, number two. Boy, you've been a pickle girl, you let your pickles down.
3: <laughs> I am the walrus by the Beatles.
2: Very good. Boy, you've been a...
3: Naughty girl, you let your knickers down.
2: Very good. Excellent.
3: That's right. Number three. This is gherkin great.
2: I don't make fun of this.
3: (laughs) What's the big deal?
2: (laughs) This is very serious. (laughs) I'm just following your cue, Cumber. I said to Hank Williams, how lonely does it get? Hank Williams hasn't answered yet, but I hear him pickling all night long.
3: Tower of Song (laughs) by Leonard Cohen.
2: Yes. I said to
4: Hank
3: Williams, how lonely does it get? I think he hasn't answered me yet, but I hear him. Coffin? Coffin.
2: It is very good. All right. Wow, you are, you are <laughs> nailing this. I'm natural. Wonderful. It's in the jar. Okay. I don't understand. <laughs> Number four, well, I know pickles. Voodoo, too. I'm going to make my pickle available to you. <laughs> say it one more time well I know pickles voodoo (laughs) I'm gonna make my pickle available to you
3: (laughs) I don't know I don't know it I'm gonna make my services available to you is that right nope Yeah. can you sing it
2: well, I know pickles. Voodoo, too. I'm going to make my pickle available to you. <laughs> I don't now know. you got it. it. I don't know. I you give it up. It. Tom Waits going out west. Oh. And so, well, I know karate. Voodoo, too. I'm going to make myself available to you. Yeah, I know it now that you said it. Yeah. All right. Number five. We all know what we know. It's a hard pickle to mow. When you think like a pickle, you forget what you know.
4: Um, it's a new partner by palace
3: yes it's a hard swath to mow when you think like a hammer and forget what you
2: know hermit hermit dang it but you got swath so it's we all know what we know it's a hard swath to mow when you think like a hermit and you forget what you know hermit
3: I don't know I thought it was like a
2: hammer All right, number six. There are only two more. The Highways Jammed with Broken Pickles on a Last Chance Pickle Drive. (laughs) Sing it. (laughs) The Highways Jammed with Broken Pickles on a Last Chance Pickle Drive. I don't know. Bruce Springsteen, born to run. The highway's jammed with broken heroes on a last chance power drive. Dang. I should have got one.
3: It speared me right in the heart.
2: Number seven, the final one.
3: I've been relishing this quiz.
2: Here we go. Number seven. There is a pickle. Everyone is there. Every pickle will leave at exactly the same time. (laughs) Can you sing it? There is a pickle, everyone is there, every pickle will leave at exactly the same time.
3: All right. I, I need this one, but I just want to hear you sing it. Um, that's Heaven by the Talking Heads. Yes. There is a party, everyone will leave at exactly the same time, right?
2: That's it. Yep. All right. Woo. Yep. Very good. You got, yeah, you did really well. You got everything, I think, but Bruce Springsteen and Hermit from palace i missed i
3: missed uh the tom waits one too
2: oh you did okay yep still five out of seven that's yeah. great
3: yeah it's pretty good i think we have a new um <laughs> whatever we can't think of a quiz idea we'll just replace it with pickle and see how it so goes so is that what
2: you think happened to me i couldn't think of an idea <laughs> i
3: think i think you've been missing the deli i'm trying to think is there anything pickle related that we missed that we need to push in here at the last
2: minute no, I think, I think we're ready to play some classic rock. <laughs>
4: <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: Let's go to the turntable talk. Everybody
4: is talking at me. I don't hear a word they're
3: saying, only the echoes of my mind. Despite being studied for centuries from philosophical, sociological, psychological, and biological perspectives, there is no one unified theory on the meaning of laughter. A common condition of all cultures, every person is susceptible to these involuntary responses. As Aristotle put it, humans are laughing animals. One factor that most gelatological philosophers and scientists agree upon is that laughter is an essential social tool. Laughter creates connection, expresses emotion, adds conversational context, signals acceptance, creates positive feedback loops, acts as a defense mechanism, and helps to ferret out the weak and embarrass them. In short, laughter is how we bond. It's how we tell others and ourselves that things are going to be okay. Social, emotional, and cognitive regulation a primitive means to deal with our unpredictable, inconsistent, and intense existence. 1900s French philosopher Henri Bergson wrote that laughter was a collective apparatus that causes a separation from logic and emotion, which allows society to intellectually adapt to situations, balance moral quandaries, and correct eccentric behavior. Of course, not too many people are worried about where laughter comes from or what it does, We just know that videos of men sustaining testicular injuries are never not funny.
2: All this begs the question, what do you get when you cross a joke in a rhetorical question? In the 1920s, an answer to that might have been the laughing record fat. 78s featuring uncontrollable cackling took hold of the culture, causing a sort of mass hysteria in the sitting rooms around the world. It was a regular pole-sitter laugh Inexplicably, Millions of people could not get enough of songs that were interrupted with the wild pre-recorded howls and snorts flatulating from their victrola phonograph machines. The bizarre novelty record phenomenon had a long-lasting impact in both humanizing the nation technology and laying the groundwork for embedded laugh tracks to assist audiences with remembering the hilarity they were witnessing in this episode. We chuckle. Chortle, snicker, titter, giggle, and guffaw our way through the bust-your-gut history of Laughing Records.
3: you are 30 times more likely to laugh in the company of other people. Makes sense, right? If you think about your day, unless you are slowly going mad, which is definitely a possibility in these isolated times, you are probably not laughing when you are alone. Or, if you're like me, you may even be weeping uncontrollably. Even when you're watching a movie, a show, or a YouTube video, you're much more likely to laugh when surrounded with other people than you are on your own. Even more so, you laugh more when you are laughing along with other people, even if it is through disembodied laugh tracks. Like yawns, laughter is contagious. People have always known this, which might explain the invention of the laughing record.
2: Song and laughter have long skipped mirthfully hand-in-hand. Sheet music, as far back as the 1700s, show the implementation of laughter in melodies, lyrics, and choruses from highbrow parlor songs, lyrical ha-ha-ha's, have been used in everything from operas to prairie songs. It was George Washington Johnson's 1898 Laughing Song that was the first example of captured laughing used in music. Johnson, who was the first African-American voice ever recorded, committed a tune to Wax Cylinder that turned out to be a huge hit, arguably the biggest song of the 1890s.
4: He said his mother was a princess, his father was a prince. And it's been the apple of the ride. He had not been a coin, but he'll be the king of that turn to sweet by and by. And when I heard him say it while I laughed until I cried and then I laughed. I got daddy a rubble I got daddy rubble and I got rubble
2: Johnson was a street performer who was was invited into a New York City recording laboratory. It is claimed that somewhere between 25,000 and 50,000 copies were sold, which is amazing considering there was no means of mass production to duplicate recorded sound. This means Johnson had to repeatedly sing the song into a recording horn, creating perhaps four or five copies at a time in order to build up stock. He would record the song up to 50 times a session, no joke. The Laughing Song and its unfortunately named companion piece, The and Coon, were used for phonograph demonstrations and became one of the first hits in the newly forming industry. Despite this huge dedication to producing records, as soon as the record companies figured out a way to make copies from one or two masters, his services were no longer needed and the label dropped him. Of course, there were no royalties for artists at the time, and Johnson, a unique talent and a pioneer of the industry, fell into poverty and died alone in a tenement.
3: The success of The Laughing Song had two major impacts. The first was a bevy of melodic, giggling imitators. And by imitation, we mean outright theft. Sometimes they would add a little skit, but often it was just an exact version of the song gramophone company's Burt Shepard stole the song almost note for note and made a ton of cash with his blatant appropriation. A bigger hit was The Laughing Policeman by Charles Penrose under the pseudonym Charles Jolly. He stole the music but had the idea to recast the premise of the song to a story about a happy-go-lucky policeman who chuckles away as he arrests various vagrants. People, especially British people, aided up to the point where coin-operated laughing policemen started popping up around various amusement parks, probably to scare off any hobos like anti-loitering scarecrows.
5: I know a fat old policeman, he's always on our street. A fat and jolly red-faced man, he really is a treat. He's too kind for a policeman, he's never known to frown. And everybody says he is the happiest man in town. <laughs>
3: The second impact was an idea to twist the laughing on the songs from the performer to the audience. The idea was simply to have unrestrained and unaccompanied laughing filling the halls. One of the earliest examples of this was by German performer Henry Clausen, Love is Pickles, who starts by singing a pleasant tune before losing his marbles and falling into a fit. Clausen <laughs> was the inspiration for German label Becker Records to try a similar auditory anecdote in 1920.
2: There is some dispute, but this is the likely story. After recording a few of the usual songs, some German musicians attempted a sort of musical gag. Those wacky Germans, am I right? Basically, a cornetist starts by making an attempt at a solemn, nostalgic tune called, in English, In My Younger Days, and he makes a minor flub. This leads to the song being interrupted by a lady laughing. But then the slow roll of titters turns into a flood of high-pitched, unyielding, and unrepentant howls. As the hapless player attempts and fails to continue, the lady laughing is so persistent, infectious, and pernicious that the musician jumps in with his own hooting, complete with full-throated and forceful snorts. The musician becomes so flummoxed that he eventually totally surrenders as the laughter continues for the entirety of the nearly three minute 78. (laughs) (laughs)
4: Ha (laughs) Ha 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 ha
2: There were no credits on the actual record, which makes for a muddled history. There are various sources that indicate that the trio on the record were Felix Silbers as the flustered hornist, opera singer Lucy Bernardo as the merciless Lady Lampooner, and Otto Rathke as her convulsing cohort. However, Ian Nagoski, the founder of Canary Records, who recently put out the primary source for this episode, a collection of recordings called A Better Cure... A Brief History of the OK Laughing Record and its Progeny, 1904-1946, writes that a recent consensus was reached that the performer was Bavarian comedian and actor Carl Valentin. Valentin was an interesting fellow. Dubbed the German Charlie Chaplin, he collaborated with Bertolt Brecht and is often associated with the Dada movement and social expressionism. His work as a comedian, cabaret performer, clown, author, and film producer often focused on gallows humor, absurdism, and linguistic anarchy. The female voice on the record is attributed to his regular female partner, Liesel Karlstadt. Their collaboration was one of the most prolific of the Weimar interwar era, but ended in 1935 when Valentin's Panopticum Folkloric Surrealist Museum, which sounds amazing financially ruined him and karlstadt had a nervous breakdown that part not so amazing
3: it's strange because there's multiple sources and they all seem very definitive on who recorded the song and so it was hard to to know i mean sources like the library of congress but it, it's hard to know and, and there's evidence to the contrary like the philips uh, Silber's guy, mm-hmm. was apparently a really like well-regarded, well-known cornet player, and it doesn't seem likely that he would have drove from wherever he was to a different city to record this novelty record. So it's hard to know.
2: Everywhere I looked, it would talk about a specific person doing it, and then in the comments, there was always at least one person that said, no, it's this, and they were very sure of themselves. But it just seems like there's so many... So many options, and nobody seems to be really positive.
3: It was, you know, a hundred years ago. Released in Germany in 1920 as the original Lock Off nama or original laugh recording, the song was a surprise hit. Some advertisements have the song listed with a subtitle of Die Missglückte Jugendzeit, or The Misfortunes of Youth. As record companies around the world took notice, many of them decided they should release their own version. And by own version, we mean exact copy, just like before. Since laughter is a universal language, the company simply switched the label to reflect their company and their home language. The song was released in England as the Parlophone Laughing Record, and in France, the Odeon label issued the disc as Hilarity, Nouveau Fou R'air, which translates as Hilarity. The New Crazy Laugh. Not sure how I said it It translates to anything, but there you go. Of course, in the States, the record was released as the OK Laughing Record. The OK Record Company was started by German-born Otto K.E. Heinemann in 1918, who used his initials to start releasing records to accompany the phonograph systems he had been selling. Heinemann was visionary in expanding his market by making records aimed at a broader audience, including German, Czech, Polish, Swedish, and Yiddish immigrant communities, and most notably by putting out some of the earliest race records, including the immensely important and popular Mamie Smith Blues records. Later, OK would put out gigantic hits for Louis Armstrong, Duke Ellington, Little Richard, Screaming Jay Hawkins, Link Ray. And Joe's favorite singer, Burl Ives.
2: He's no William Bendix, but yeah, I like him. You have a type, I guess. <laughs> I like pudgy actors from the 50s who seem to be forgotten, unfairly.
3: <laughs> yes, you do. Never forget you you haggling with some record store about a $2 William Bendix record. I
2: was raising the price. He was lowering it. (laughs) It Really worked in their favor.
3: Inflating the market of
2: Bendix. And it's so scratched up it doesn't even play.
3: Ah. Heinemann still had business connections in Germany, which helped with his importing foreign records, including the newly popular German laughing record. They renamed it, and unleashed the canned jocularity on the unsuspecting American public in 1922.
2: Scientists have classified a number of different types of laughing, ranging from genuine to simulated, spontaneous to stimulated, tickling for example, pain response to nervous laughter, substance-induced giggles, or even the terrifying pathological or maniacal supervillain laughter. The odd thing about the laughing records is that You can arguably place the recorded cacination anywhere along this scale of variation, just as you can place the laughter of the people listening at home. Did they find it authentically funny? Were they laughing because other people who were listening started cracking up? Did it make them nervous or uncomfortable? Did it play upon something suppressed deep inside? Were they sociopaths who were practicing mimicking human emotions? Whatever the reason, people were buying or listening to the OK record, it worked. It is estimated that it sold hundreds of thousands, if not a million copies. The song was exponentially more popular in the U.S. than it was in Germany. Though a young Hitler was known to smirk when it played, but that could have been tweaking from all the meth. The 78 was kept in print for three decades. Of course... As a common thread we see on this podcast, once an out of left field record gets big, a glut of follow-ups and imitators soon flood the market.
3: Seeing that their laughing record was all the rage and wanting to get an edge on the onslaught of competition, O.K. quickly pressed up two similar records. The first was succinctly dubbed the second laughing record, which featured a botched singing lesson. second was called the OK laughing dance record performed by the Rega dance orchestra which also backed up mamie smith on some of her records it was recorded just months after the release of the original the band plays throughout making it a little less hysterical than the laughing record but also a little less demonic
2: novelty knockoffs came fast and furious. Seemingly weeks after the OK Laughing Record exploded, Rival's Great Gull Records put out Button Buster, and Regal Records put out the Regal Comedy 4 Laughing Record. They are so formulaic, it truly is difficult to tell them apart from the original. Well, the original copy. You'd need a voight Kampf test to flesh those skin jobs out. Here's Button Buster, Gennett and Cameo Records tried using emerging stars as bait with their laughing record, featuring up-and-comers Al H. Weston and Irene Young losing it to an ill-fated saxophone rendition. The Cameo version was appropriately titled, Laugh and the World Laughs With You. Columbia Records wanted to get in on some of the cash-grabbing and issued Spoiled Cornet solo inexplicably on their ethnic series of discs, specifically targeting immigrant listeners. Columbia eventually bought OK and buried the song in favor of its more profitable predecessor. (laughs) As these laughing records were incredibly easy to make, more and more unlicensed remakes popped up, and an odd subgenre was born.
3: Things get even stranger from there. Record label men, thinking that maybe laughing was just one small part of a huge, emotion-evoking market, decided to try their hand at some other bodily noise records. OK put out the OK Crying record, which, you know, is just mournful wailing as a sad song plays. Needless to say, it was not a hit. Even weirder is that other record labels followed this sorrowful trend off the cliff, as evidenced by Path Actuelle Label's 1924 Sobbing Record. Still not a hit. Apparently, the folks in the 1920s were not ready for emo music. That didn't hit until the Depression.
2: Neither did that joke.
3: Even crazier was the B-side of the Sobbing Record, which... Uh is just called contagious coughing. It did not spread. Spanish flu survivors weren't nostalgic yet.
4: (coughs) Spring, which comes in, (coughs) whispers thrill us both and sing of (coughs) love unspeakable that is to be. (laughs) Pro me, oh, promise
2: me. <laughs> This sort of reminds me of those how-to records we did. And you found one that was just like a baby crying oh, the whole time. It was so horribly terrible. depressing. I mean, I I bought it, but it was horribly <laughs> depressing.
3: I wish I could have kind of been in the room when they were deciding like, okay, this laughing record's exploding. What else do people do that we can imitate? Hey, boss,
2: knuckle crackers? <laughs> <laughs> when I scratch my junk, it makes a cool sound. <laughs> The Laughing Record rolled its way into popular culture. Soon, musicians were adding laughter into straight music. As mentioned before, the OK Laughing Dance record had already explored sprinkling in random tittering in a fully fleshed-out song. The Odeon label, OK's German Connection, re-released the rollicking Foxtrot record under the name Jokes by the O.K. Syncopators. In 1927, Jelly Roll Morton briefly got up from the pallet on his floor and used a full-on belly laugh for the chorus of Hyena Stomp. In 1933, Louis Armstrong issued Laughing Louie, with his trademark joviality added to the swinging tune and lots of dialogue.
1: I swing out! I want to check this little number about Laughing Louis. Laughing Louis, look out the Laughing Louie, I'm Laughing Louie, yeah man, I'm Laughing Louis. yes sir, no la, Laughing Louie, boy, <laughs> yeah. I wake up every morning and I have to laugh But I look on the wall and I see my photograph. <laughs> yeah, man, they call me Larry Lewis, but you cats must play yourself because you won't let me swing. Look out there. Yeah.
2: Rudy Valley chuckled his way through the drunkard song. And you
1: kind friends adieu. Yes,
5: adieu. Oh, I can't. No oh, <laughs>
4: I, my heart on a weeping willow tree Very
5: well. Well. well Oh deep my grave
1: both wide and deep wide and deep put tombstones at my head and feet and on my breast Just carve a
4: turtle dove to sing
2: <laughs> And there's the Brer rabbit's cheeriness amongst outrageous racism in the song. Everyone's Got a Laughing Place from the band Disney flick, Song of the South, not on Disney+. <laughs> <laughs> Boy,
4: am I in
2: love. I think about my laughing place. Yeah, 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 yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. Everybody's got a laughing place, a laughing place to go. Get down, upside down, and you'll find yours, I know. <laughs>
2: However, the most direct ripoff of the laughing trend was Spike Jones and his City Slickers novelty classic, The Jones Laughing Record, Flight of the Bumblebee, in which a tromboner commits a real boner by sneezing during the middle of the famously frantic tune causing ceaseless mockery. Up to the 60s, the idea was recycled, with none better than yodeling shorties, the crazy laughing blues. Right
4: and early, lots of things to do. when all at once got to me, these
2: Our most beloved of all the laughing songs has to be the once-in-a-generation team-up in 1958 of Mort Garson writing a song for Thurston Howell III to sing with friend called Delicious. Mmm, delicious. (laughs) Delicious.
5: Like it, mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> mm, delicious. <laughs>
5: <laughs> I like it too. <laughs> yes, I do like it. <laughs>
4: Delicious.
3: <laughs> when I was doing research for this episode, I started reading about the obedience studies by Stanley Milgram, where he had people believe they were shocking, you know, people.
4: Yeah. And
3: what he found, and it, it kind of started a whole chain of more research, is that people nervously laughed as they were, being obedient as they were told to shock people to the point where they thought they were hurting them or possibly killing them. People just laugh, just this nervous laughter. That song, Delicious, that is the sound of nervous laughter as you are shocking somebody. It's the perfect sound for that. The original OK Laughing record has had impressive longevity. It was regularly featured by Dr. Demento on his weekly radio show. Humorous Gene Shepard, who is the guy whose short stories turned into the Christmas Story movie, would also play the song during his radio airtime. In 1955, Golden Age animator Tex Avery used the song for his short, "Shh," which imagines an uptight bongo player, tired of being surrounded by horn-tootin' musicians, checking into a quiet mountain spa for some psychiatrist-prescribed R&R. Only to be placed next door to a hapless, squealing cornetist and their guffawing partner. He attempts to use written notes, buckets of water, a baseball bat, explosive devices, cannons, and a falling safe to curb their enthusiasm. Probably ordering everything from the Acme Company. You can guess how that ended. <laughs> The song has even been made into a surely disturbing choreographed piece in 1994's lighthearted dance review, Funny Papers. Its reign of knee-slapping terror apparently has no end.
2: The rise of the laughing record and the general use of pre-recorded frivolity in musicals and performance numbers has had a huge cultural impact. First, The absurdity of hearing a machine laugh was something very new as phonograph machines and radios were still very young technology. This bizarre subgenre helped to soften the uncanny valley that the public was experiencing. Jacob Smith, author of Vocal Tracks, summarizes this effect saying, Laughter served as a kind of suture between the rigid and the flexible, the social and the individual, the mechanical and the human. The invitation of infectious laughter in the listener would work to remove anxiety about interacting with a machine, making the phonographic apparatus appear more human. The ability of a mechanical recording to crack up helps it to emanate a sense of authentic presence and humanity. Love your turntable, but don't love your turntable.
3: (laughs) And beyond this connection... Just the popularity of the tune came at a critical time for the burgeoning industry. Despite phonograph manufacturers pushing highbrow operatic records and ads, it was the popular music that moved units. One company, Victor, produced three times as much shellac with popular tunes than operatic or classical songs, making the fun novelty records a key factor in the success and spread of phonograph technology. The Eichen has cheeseburger, viral meme-esque word of mouth, was key in disseminating the unrestrained joy contained in these strange recordings.
2: Additionally, the laughing record and similar discs were, in effect, the world's first laugh track. As Library of Congress Carrie O'Dell called it, laughter as airborne contagion, timely, that encourages the audience to let their guard down and join in, possibly in spite of themselves. This idea was critical to comedy records and giving some authenticity to the performance, and later pre-recorded canned laughter was long a staple of sitcoms, assisting the viewers at home to feel a little closer with their television families, and giving gentle nudges about when to let one loose. Audiences found themselves feeling less like they were sitting on the outside looking in, and more like they were there as an active participant.
3: Finally, the record was an ode to an experience that is universal to the human condition. Random, horribly timed, and uncontrollable fits of merriment. As we've experienced in our own day-to-day life, and have seen on live television so many times, Carol Burnett, the cast of SNL, and news anchors, just to name a few,
2: and some this century,
3: or maybe, most famously in the realm of pop music, is Elvis's maniacal version of are you lonesome tonight
2: The world's a stage and each must play a part
4: oh. <laughs> I can- <laughs>
3: There's a pretty good episode of the podcast Revisionist History on Elvis's propensity for uncontrollable, bow-evacuating laughter that seems only partially caused by the pills crushed into his fried peanut butter banana sandwiches. When you are in the throes of it, running out of breath, turning red, eyes watering, it is like it will never end. It can feel tremendous to be so out of control. Odell suggests that this capturing of spontaneous gaiety by the laughing record gave it some power as rebellious, disturbing, or even inappropriate. The calming effects of laughter have permeated broader aspects of life as rich people now regularly engage in laughter yoga, laughing therapy, and sometimes joining laughter cults. So now they can feel included in all the laughter that is usually at them.
2: And so, the OK Laughing Record floats out there in the cultural space as a weird reminder of our humanity and how art can so easily play upon our nature. And though laughter often seems so arbitrary, inane, and unproductive, it turns out that a great deal of meaning can be transmitted through this uproarious vehicle. It seems that we can all agree that the Laughing Record is no laughing matter. We found out about The Laughing Record basically because of Canary Records, their Bandcamp page. You can purchase the record we mentioned earlier, and it's like maybe $5 at the most.
3: Maybe 3 I don't remember. It's really, it's it's nothing.
2: It's like 20 songs, and it comes with a PDF history of, of The Laughing Record and all the stuff that Ian Nagoski, it sounds like, has found out about it. It's very interesting.
3: Yeah, you get a lot of the songs that we played on this this episode. The full song. It's definitely a act of love that you could you could tell he's put into this record. He's got a lot of really cool older records, a lot of uh, foreign records and stuff like that. So, real interesting uh, record label, and certainly worth uh, picking up some of the digital digital songs he puts out.
2: I have a few of the Bandcamp digital ones, and then I have a few vinyl. And they're really good at focusing on seventy eight from around the world. It's pretty incredible stuff.
3: Definitely. I will say, though, if you um, you should, go download it. But when you do, space it out. Don't don't play all the laughing records at once, because I was just playing through them as I was writing this and researching, and I, I really felt like I was going crazy. Really scary. And um, my wife and kids got really... Really upset. <laughs> I was listening to it as I was writing, and and all of a sudden it went to one of the sobbing records, <laughs> and I could hear my wife in the next room go, "Turn it off, just turn it off."
2: And then you said, "That's not the record. That's <laughs> me." <laughs>
3: so some of the other sources that we use that we need to mention is the Library of Congress has a really good write up on it by uh, Carrie Odell that we mentioned, and there is a. Um, book that we use some from called vocal tracks by a guy named jacob smith all these brought interesting perspectives to this very strange fad of laughing records
2: yeah it was fun to fun to look into this stuff something that i didn't know anything about
3: there's so many of these little trends that happen and A lot of what our podcast is is just one kind of strange record gets really, really popular, and then there's a whole mess of imitators or slightly stranger versions of that that flood, and there's just so much interesting pop culture from these imitators.
2: Obviously, it had a huge impact on comedy albums. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It really did impact pop culture, and it's not something that People know much about in general, I would think. And that, like you said, that's what we tried to do in most of our episodes.
3: Well, and I think even going back to um, the first laughing song, not the laughing record, but the, the George Johnson's laughing song, that was a really huge hit too. Um, it was a different sort of laughing laughing record. But I had no idea that back in 1898, there was these records that were already kind of pushing the boundaries of what a song was and what a song contained.
2: And how many slightly different versions are there? Because he had to record all those versions every day, and those records were slightly different, his laugh had to have changed somewhat.
3: If it is 50,000, he could do it, what, 50 times a day with maybe five copies? He probably sang it a 1,000 times. Yeah, And I mean, I bet they're mostly very similar, but it's very unlikely that two copies are going to be exactly the same.
2: It would be interesting to see how many records are still out there and how many recordings and just kind of put them side by side. Maybe that would only be interesting for me, but I would like to hear a few of the differences to see if it, they're even really very noticeable.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I know the, the OK Laughing Records 78s are not that rare or expensive. I mean, there there's a million of them, so they're
2: out there. You can get them on that Dr. Demento collection too, the volume 1 of mm-hmm. it's like the the opening track on that.
3: But if you have a 78 player, like I was looking, I think there's there's copies for for $10. I mean, I don't know how well they play, but
2: I think the issue with that and I used to collect 78s is having them shipped. You want to find them. They're too fragile to ship. You'd be very you'll be very lucky to get one that doesn't crack. If they crack, you can glue them back together and they'll play pretty well. But I would I always worried about shipping. You can't you can't ship 78. I thought you could pack them really well. You can, but they're so fragile that if it isn't perfectly packed, it's going to be a mess.
3: Gotcha. All that to say is they're out there. You know, they're not it's not the rarest yeah. record. If you want to have a party and throw on the laughing record, which you know, maybe that's what people were thinking. Like, hey, I'm going to have a party, I need to jump start it. I throw this baby on by 3 minutes everybody's laughing up cracking up having a good time. I'm not charming, but this
2: record is. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you ready to play some songs?
2: Yeah, let's do it. I'll never be
3: First song, uh, appropriately titled, is After Laughter Comes Tears by Wendy Renee. Track was After Laughter Comes Tears by Wendy Renee. That was a 1964 Stax 45, but it's featured on a bunch of soul comps, including the Southern Dream, Cheatin' Soul and the Southern Dream of Freedom, which is where we took it off of. And uh, Light The Attic has a Wendy Renee reissue. Uh, Wendy Renee was Mary Frierson, and she was born in Memphis, Tennessee. And she was part of the Drapels with her brother Johnny, who we've featured on this uh, podcast before. He's got a great uh, solo record. But they um, eventually got signed to Stax in 63, and she needed a stage name, so Otis Redding gave her a stage name of Wendy Renee. And her first solo single, After Laughter Comes Rain, which was co-written by her brother, uh, came out in 64, it was a pretty big local hit, but it didn't do much nationally. Um, it did have Booker, Booker T. Jones on organ, which is pretty cool. And so she uh, had a couple other singles, one called Barbecue that was kind of like a dance craze record. She never got too big. She did tour. She hung out with the stack star stars like Rufus Thomas, Otis Redding singing back up on a lot of their records and on tour with them. And she was scheduled to fly with uh, Otis Redding and some of the Barquets uh for what would have been her li- final live performance. Uh, but she backed out cause she just had a baby. And that was the plane that went down in Madison, Wisconsin that killed Otis Redding and several other people. So after that, she retired from the music business and mostly did church stuff and family stuff. And you might recognize this song because it was sampled by the Wu-Tang Clan on their song Tears. Tears with a Z. Anyways, just a fantastic soul song and it's a little bit of a uh, dinner mint for the after laughter. Gotta, gotta cry some too. It's both the laughing record and the sobbing record all in one nice package.
2: For the next track, I'm going to play a song by Gilda Radner, and it is called Let's Talk Dirty to the Animals.
0: With a -a cock-a-doodle-doo Good morning A horse's neigh is just his way Of saying how are you A lion growls hello And owls ask why And where and who May I suggest you get undressed And show them your wazoo Oh The animals the animals let's talk dirty to the animals fuck you mr bunny eat shit mr bear if they don't love it they can shove it frankly i don't care oh. the animals the animals let's talk dirty to the animals of yours mr hippo Soft, Mr. Fox, go tell a chicken, suck my dick and give me chicken pox. Oh, the animals, the animals, let's talk dirty to the animals from birds in the treetops.
2: was comedian Gilda Radner with her song Let's Talk Dirty to the Animals from her album Live from New York which came out in 1979. I don't really have a whole lot to say about Gilda Radner. I think most people listening probably know who she was. She was the first cast member that signed up for to be on Saturday Night Live in 1975 and she was there till 1980 and she had a huge Broadway one woman show called Gilda Live, I believe. And it was there that she would be able to play some of her material that was uh, not really good for TV, as you you just heard. This song generally (laughs) led off the whole show, which is kind of a a fun way to lead off a concert, I would think. It's just a song that always makes me laugh. I think it's really funny. The next track I'm going to play is... By Burl lives. Oh shit And it is The Times They Are A-Changin' Come <laughs> gather round people
1: Wherever you roam And admit That the waters Around you have grown And accept it That soon You'll be drenched To the bone If your time To you Is worth saving Then you'd better start Swimming Or you'll sink Like a stone For the times They are A change writers and critics who prophesy with your pens and keep your eyes wide the chance won't come again and don't speak too soon for the wheel is still in spin and there's no telling who that it's naming for the loser now will be later to win for the time they are the change come senators and congressmen please heed the call Don't stand in the doorway, don't block up the hall For he that gets hurt will be he who has stalled There's a battle outside and it's raging It'll soon shake your windows And rattle your walls For the times They are a change Come mothers and fathers throughout the land and don't criticize what you can't understand your sons and your daughters are beyond your command your old road is rapidly aging Get out of the new one if you can't lend your hand for the time. drawn. The curse is cast. The slow one now will later be fast. And as the present now will later be past, The order is rapidly fading, and the first one now will later be last, for the times they are a change.
2: That was Burl Ives with The Times They Are A-Changin'. You may know that song better from Bob Dylan's cover of it, but that was from Burl's, I can call him Burl, Burl's album, The Times They Are A-Changin', which came out in 1969, one of four albums he put out in 1969. He was prolific. How many albums do you think he had? Did he have a bunch of albums? I think he has, yeah, I bet he has 60 albums, I would guess. Wow, That's crazy. Yeah, it is it is crazy. On this album, he does a few Bob Dylan songs. Um, I'll Be Your Baby Tonight, Don't Think Twice, It's All Right, The Times They Are Changing, One Too Many Mornings. But he also does some other kind of folk-y type songs, like countryish ish Little Green Apples, Gentle on My Mind, By the Time I Get to Phoenix. Songs that
3: Bob Dylan's wish he wrote.
2: Yeah, they're out of his league. <laughs> I don't have it on that album. I'm not lucky enough to own that. I haven't yet spent the $1. ninety-two it cost to get that. But I do have it on a brand new release from Iron Mountain Analog Research. We talk about them an awful lot. The album that just came out by them is called Troubled Troubadours. And that is the second to last song on side two of that album. The album is fantastic. Just got it today, actually. And it's got... Some amazing songs. One of my favorite Dolly Parton songs that I didn't have on vinyl is on here. It's called The Bridge. It has Roger Miller, Henson Cargill, Stonewall Jackson, Bobby Bear. Wonderful collection, as always, from them. And that is everything I have for my two songs. Hopefully you were able to sit through that, the times they are changing. It is 5 minutes and 15 seconds, but it only feels like 23 minutes. (laughs)
3: It certainly turned into a laughing record
2: And then a weeping record
3: Yeah, and then a coughing record
2: Then it turned into the Spanish flu
3: Alright, my last song is called Don't You Just Know It It's by Huey Piano Smith and His Clowns Right, that was "Don't You Just Know It" by Huey Piano Smith and his clowns. That's probably one of the more, you know, popular, well-known songs we've ever played on on this podcast. I think a lot of people know it. If you don't know it, you should because it's awesome. A lot of good laughing in that song. That's why I chose it. It's on uh, Ace Records. It's on a forty-five from nineteen fifty-eight. It's his signature song, kind of a boogie woogie New Orleans R and B type song. He's from the Central City part of uh, New Orleans, inspired by Professor Longhair, and he was just a great piano player. was a session player for Little Richard and Lloyd Price, Smiley Lewis, all sorts of people. And this was a big hit for him. It went to number nine on the charts and number four on the R and B charts. And it was his second million selling record. Uh, his first one was Rockin' Pneumonia and Boogie Woogie Flu. Oh, which is also a great song. It's just one of those songs that I could listen to a million times and it just never gets old. It's just it's just great. I love how when he laughs, he sort of sounds like the Count from uh, Sesame Street.
2: That's good. I hadn't put that together. Uh, it is such a great song. I love singing it in the car with the kids. Mm-hmm. It's always fun.
3: I think probably everybody knows it, but I guess it's not something that, totally gets played on oldie radios or anything like that it's been in some soundtracks yeah maybe that's what it has been in some soundtracks and i think it's covered quite a bit but whatever i love it me too it's our podcast i can do whatever if you get to play bro
2: Ives, i can play this if i get to play bro lives okay <laughs> i think it should be like mandated that i play bro <laughs> <for> every show
3: <laughs> this will be our new podcast you can do 130 episodes one for each of
2: his albums All right, I think we are finished with those. Let's go back to trivia. All
3: right, and just as a reminder, this is a uh, veritable laugh mix of all sorts of laughing from parts of pop songs. I don't care about what the song is, you just got to tell me who is laughing. So I'll play it again, and then we'll come back and let you see how many you got. start naming who you got all right the beatles correct i'm the walmers
2: elvis elvis was in there yep michael stipe no the ventures uh close wipe out the safaris safaris thank you yeah sorry pretty much right huey smith he's in there yep bob dylan and tom wilson yep madonna no that wasn't her okay nope Peter Sarsad?
3: Yes, you got him.
2: The Big Bopper? Yes. Was it Pink Floyd? No Pink Floyd. It sounded like a classic rock song in there. Um, I think that's all I have written down. It's pretty good. You got about, about six, seven maybe. So here we go.
3: In order, there are the Beatles, I Am the Walrus, Ozzy, Crazy
2: Train. I knew that one too. Yep. Darn it.
3: Morrissey, we hate it when our friends become successful. The is who you got? Joni Mitchell, the very end of Big Yellow Taxi, is on there. The next one after that was Huey Piano-Smith, who I just played, so it should be a dead giveaway, but whatever. Mm -hmm. Don't you just know it? Then you got it as Bob Dylan with Tom Wilson laughing uh, at the start of Bob Dylan's 115th Dream. And then the one after that was another one we uh, talk about in the turntable talk, Lonesome Tonight by Elvis. This next one was the hardest one. I don't know if anybody would out there got it. But I thought maybe you could get it by The Voice. But that was Kate Bush.
2: Oh, okay. From a
3: song called Ariel. And then there was Devo, Peekaboo. I'm surprised you didn't get this one. David Bowie with Andy Warhol.
2: Okay. Should have gotten a lot of them.
3: And then you got Peter... Um, how do you say his name? Start. Starstead. Yeah, that guy. Where Do You Go, My Lovely. It's just amazing song. Okay, and that was Prince... Okay. Super Funko from the Black Album. And then, I can't believe you didn't get this. I feel like maybe you just didn't write it down. Liberace. Okay. You Don't Bring Me Flowers. Yep. One of my favorite songs. The old Prince Liberace, One-Two Punch.
2: Quite the tandem.
3: <laughs> Sexual Volcano right there. Then Sex Pistols Anarchy in the UK.
2: Should have gotten that too. I didn't even hear that one.
3: And then you got Big Bopper, Chantilly Lace.
2: It's hard. As people at home know, if you just hear it twice, it's it's difficult. So,
3: yeah, not meant to be easy. This isn't a game, Joe. Not a laughing matter. Anyways, we'll see. Let us know how you did at home. Let us know if you beat Joe's score. I hope you did. I'm sure you
2: did. Should have done. Should have been able to do that.
3: Yep. All right. Well, that's it for us. As always, we want to. Say thank you to our podcast network, Pantheon. Uh, They provide us a lot of support and just a great network of different sorts of music podcasts, all sorts of a range of different topics. So, you know, if you like our show, try out some other shows. Um, You may find some really great content, really great music you didn't know about, and a lot of entertaining stuff. So Pantheon Podcast, I think it's pantheonpodcast.com will be the website, or you can just... Just Google it and you'll find them for sure.
2: Yeah, there are like thirty music podcasts on there, maybe more now.
3: Yeah, they keep they keep adding them, and you know, really interesting, cool stuff.
2: Contact us on social media too. We're on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle on both of those is Highway HiFi Pod. You can find us on Facebook, and you can email us whenever you'd like. Anytime you need a laugh or a cry or a cough. Our email address is highway high podcast at gmail.com.
3: Yeah, we've gotten a few emails in the past couple weeks, which is just awesome. Really nice. People just being really pleasant and saying they liked this episode. Somebody mentioned the Ska episode. They really liked that and gave us some good recommendations for later era Ska that is in the uh, same spirit as original Ska. Anyways, we've gotten some really nice emails. And we really appreciate them. Make sure that if you can, that you're supporting music in any way you can. Buy records from local record stores. Buy records from independent record stores online. Support artists. Buy records directly to artists. A lot of artists are doing like streaming live shows where you can give them a few bucks and watch them or download their MP3s. If you're in a band, try to uh, if you can get some money together to get a record pressed, get a lathe cut pressed. There's uh Kindercore or people in the position to know, they're still pressing records. Good time to go out there and make some music and if you can and get it pressed. So, uh do something to support the music that you love and the uh, buy some records would be great. Most of all, we just want to say thank you. We appreciate all our listeners and um everybody who's stuck with our shows and listens to the end. We hope everybody's doing well, staying safe, and we'll see you soon.
5: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football